0: So I'll bet you're all wondering how the good and the bad and the ugly is going to end. So today we're going to show you, I got a quick little video clip, take a look up here. bootstrap barns. Oh, I've been waiting a long time for this. I reckon I ain't seen you since Carson City. Buckaroo, you're uglier than a freshly sheared sheep. Oh, yeah? Your teeth are so crooked you can eat corn on the cob through a picket fence. Ha <laughs> ha! He's as crazy as popcorn on a hot stove. What are you laughing at? You're so thin you could take a bath at a shotgun barrel. ha! <laughs> If his brains were dynamite, there'd be enough to blow your nose. You got a $10 Stetson on a five cent head. Why, you rag bag horn swaggler mangy scoundrel. Why, oh, you yellow bellied windbag old coot. So that's how it ends you might be thinking to yourself what's the point worst ending ever right you ever notice in a in a western they always end up at a shootout in town or in the okay corral or wherever it is but the good guy always ends up limping out or somehow gets out of it how many people think how many people know a book or, or a movie you've seen like the worst movie endings ever anybody have a great example of that terrible movie or book that ended terribly anybody got something I'll tell you the famous one at our family. You want to know what it is? The perfect storm. How many people have seen the perfect storm? This is a legendary story at our family. My wife and I, I took her to go see the perfect storm. And, uh, And so it was interesting when we went to go see it. If you've never seen the perfect storm, it's a story about a fishing boat and their crew. And they're out fishing and they're trying to get back and they get caught in the perfect storm that's why it's called that and so they're fighting their way through this storm and at the very end they're at this place where they can see through and there's oh look i can see some daylight looks like the storm's over over there and they're like we're finally gonna make it and they get going that way and just as they do a rogue wave comes it's like 30 stories tall and they hit the throttle on the boat and they go trying to go up this wave until they get almost to the top and then does anybody know what happens yeah, the, fl- the boat flips over backwards about four times like this, and it sinks, and everybody dies. Roll the credits. That's how that movie ends. Oh, sorry if I ruined it for you. That's how that movie ends. As we're coming out of the movie, my wife, Nicole, looks at me, and she's as mad as I've ever seen her. I've never seen her this mad. She's hitting me on the shoulder, which is what she does when she... And she's surprisingly strong, actually. Uh, so it's so funny. She looks at me, and she's so mad, and she says, I can't believe you made me go see that movie. And I said, what are you talking about? She goes, that is two hours of my life. I will never get back again. Why didn't you tell me everybody dies at the end? What's the point of that? And I said to her, I thought you knew. It's based on a true story. And then she was really mad. <laughs> what do you mean a true story? And I was like, yeah, that's, that's how the story goes. So we've got all these movies that end terribly. How many people? Titanic? Titanic ends to, oh, I'm not talking about where the boat sinks and all the people die. That's terrible and all that. But that lady throws a billion-dollar necklace back in the sea. What's that all about? That's, that doesn't make any sense, Right? Uh, but it's not just recently Romeo and Juliet is one of those stories that is ridiculous at the end like star-crossed lovers and Juliet fakes her own death so she can be with Romeo Romeo comes across her finds out that she's dead only she's not really dead but he thinks she's dead and so he kills himself and then she wakes up and he's dead and she kills herself and roll the credits worst ending ever, right? there are these stories that have the worst ending ever and sometimes the story doesn't end the way we want it to if the story in the Bible ended the way it does here at the end of Chronicles and Kings, it's the worst story ever. So, worst story ever. It, it's terrible. Um, kings and Chronicles would be the worst story ever. But there is a moment where we would say, okay, God, what was the point of all of that? I mean, we've got all these years with these kings, and what was the point of all of that? And the truth of the matter is, is I think all of us have had a moment in our life where we thought, what was the point of all of this, God? Like we looked up at heaven and we said, really, God? That's where this is all leading, right here, right now? Really? And that's what I want to talk about this morning because God is going to say, hold on, hold on, hold on. It's not over yet. The story's not over yet. You've got to read the next chapter. And the truth of the matter is, is if we're going to look at God's word and we're going to look at the good, the bad, and the ugly, we've got to learn from the good, the bad, and sometimes even the ugly. And today we are going to look at that this morning. So let me recap the story for you. This is when kingdoms fall. Uh, there are two, the land, God's people have been separated into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom is Israel. And the southern kingdom is Judah. We've now split them up. They each have separate kings at this point. Or have had separate kings, right? And so of the kings in both Israel and Judah, there are 38 kings in total. Of those 38, only about five of them were good kings. There are 33 bad kings. And a few of those are even really ugly kings, if you know what I mean. So, And every time, God continues to give these people a chance to repent and come back to him. The king can repent and come back to him. He sends prophets to tell them to repent and come back to him. And for 208 years, this goes on. King after king, prophet after prophet, telling the people to turn back to God. And finally, last week, Glenn told us about King Josiah. And King Josiah turned back the people to God. For those of you that are keeping score at home, did you notice Glenn got the good kings and I got all the bad kings? Anybody notice that? Okay, good. Glad to hear that. Look at what it said about King Josiah. If you got your notes, follow along with me. Never before had there been a king like who? Josiah. Josiah, who turned the Lord with all of his heart and soul and strength. Does that sound familiar? All of his heart and all of his soul and all of his strength. Obeying all the laws of Moses... And there has never been a king like him since. So finally, we have this ray of light, Josiah. Finally, a good king who turns God's people back to him. Except then Josiah dies. And he turns over the kingdom to his son, Jehoahaz. And Jehoahaz did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And then he turned over to his son, Jehoiakim, And he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And then he turned over to somebody else, Jehoiachin. And he did evil in the eyes. Are you noticing a point here? You're noticing a pattern here? All of these kings are doing evil in the eyes of the Lord. And we're at this point where the wheels are going to come off. The wheels are going to come off these kingdoms. And so God sends them a warning. And he sends them a prophet that is like warning shots fired. You know in a Western when you want to tell people you mean business but you're not going to shoot at them yet. What do you do? You shoot off a warning shot. You know what I'm talking about? Right? And you say, the next time I have to shoot this, it's going to be for real. You know what I'm talking about? So he gives a warning shot to the kingdoms. And that warning shot is, um, is it's a little bit like parenting. How many par- parents? Do you know what I'm talking about here? How many with your kids you have done this? If you don't knock that off, I'm going to count to three. And then you say what? One, two, three. Two and a half, two and three quarters, 2.85, right? You know what I'm talking about? That's what's going on here. He's like, I'm serious now. I'm serious. I'm counting to three. Listen to what it says, 2 Chronicles 36. The Lord, the God of their ancestors, how did he do it? Repeatedly, repeatedly sent his prophets to warn them. For he had compassion on his people and on his temple. But the people mocked these messengers of God and despised their words. They what? They scoffed at the prophets until the Lord's anger could no longer be what? Restrained. And what else? Nothing could be done. Nothing could be done. Those are some of the scariest words in Scripture. Those are some serious words in Scripture. Some of the saddest words in Scripture. Here's what happens. I'm going to give you the Reader's Digest version. Basically the northern kingdom of Israel will fall. And the Assyrians will come in. And they will overrun the nation. And eventually the people will be carried away from Israel. And they will be assimilated into the Assyrian nation. They're going to be assimilated into those those people. They're deported back to them. The ten tribes of Israel that make up the northern kingdom of Israel get this, will never be seen again. They're the lost tribes of Israel. They've just been carried away. And Judah, the southern kingdom, has been watching what's happening to Israel, the northern kingdom, and they are headed for the same fate if they aren't careful. Because if they're not careful, they're going to be unforgiven as well. Now, I know I'm just, you know, pandering by using titles of great western movies, but unforgiven is not necessarily the best word for this, I I will argue. But technically, because technically to be forgiven, you have to be repentant. You have to like seek forgiveness and be repentant or else forgive. Anybody ever had this happen where uh, you say to someone, hey, I forgive you. And they say, for what? Anybody ever had that happen? Is that forgiveness? No, you're not, you're not in a forgiving state of mind at that point, right? And so these, the Judah, these people are going to face the music too. So look at what happens in 2 Chronicles 36. So the Lord bought the king of where? Babylon against them. And the Babylonians killed Judah's who? Young men. Even chasing after them into the temple. It's supposed to be sacred. They had no pity on the people, killing both who? And who else? And the old and the infirm. We're going through the streets and we're killing the old and the infirm. And God handed all of them over to Nebuchadnezzar. And so we see that God allowed this foreign nation to overrun Judah. just like what happened to Israel with the Assyrians. But this time it's the Babylonians. And eventually the entire nation falls into captivity to the Babylonians. They're deported to Babylon, just like Israel was deported to Assyria. Here's the point. Here's the thing that I want you to see about this. Ready? Even the God of grace will allow the natural consequences of your sins overwhelm you. Even this God of grace. That we serve and know. Who is so full of compassion and mercy. Will allow the natural consequences. There are natural consequences to sin. Of your sins. To overwhelm you. Let me ask you a question. Parents. How many people here. Have warned your kids. Again and again. And finally you are like. That's it. You count to three and you eventually go one, two, two and a half, two and three quarters and you go three. And you know it's on, right? It's like, that's it. I'm done. I'm, I'm had enough. Anybody else do that? Get Oh yeah, I'm the only parent that does that. Thanks. I appreciate that. No, you're just through. You're done. That's it. I've had enough. If, if, if you would actually, rep- I'm going to give you a little piece of Kids, here's the thing. We as parents don't actually want to punish you. We don't want to. But there comes a point where your behavior is so destructive that we have to stop you and punish you or else you will never understand the difference between right or wrong. You will head down a path that will destroy you. And so we end up punishing you, and that's how we do it. We say, that's it. That's all I can take. I can't take any more. I've had it. That's it. And God is there. God is there. Listen to what it says in 2 Chronicles 36, 19 through 21. It says, then his army, Nebuchadnezzar's army, burned the temple of God. Can you imagine God letting the temple of God get burned? He's like, I guess, go ahead. They tore down the walls of Jerusalem, burned all the palaces and completely destroyed everything of value. The few who survived were taken as exiles to Babylon and they became what? They became servants to the king and his sons until the kingdom of Persia came to power. So the message of the Lord spoken through who? Jeremiah, pay attention to that, was fulfilled. The land finally enjoyed its Sabbath rest. I mean, it's devastated. Lying desolate until the 70 years were fulfilled, just as the prophet had said. So God calls Jeremiah to be a prophet to Judah during this time of its downfall. And he's called the weeping prophet. Jeremiah is this prophet who has to Deliver. In fact, imagine this, if this was your job to deliver a message to God's people and you watch in horror as you know they will reject that message and that everything that God has promised is going to come to pass, it's going to cause destruction. They're not only going to not repent, it's all going to be brought to judgment and the promised land is going to be ripped from them. So that's Jeremiah's job. And so I thought we would talk a little bit about Jeremiah this morning because we can learn from Jeremiah. Jeremiah is a young gun. A young gun prophet is the way I will word him. In Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, we see that uh, this admonition to Jeremiah. The Lord gave me this message, Jeremiah is talking about. The Lord said, I knew you before I what? Before. Before I formed you in your mother's womb. I knew you before I even formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I what? I set you apart and appointed you as my prophet to the nations. I knew you, I formed you, I set you apart as my prophet. Jeremiah was handpicked for this job before he was even born. But listen to his response. This is Jeremiah's response. Oh, sovereign Lord, I said, I can't speak for you. Why? I'm too young. The Lord replied, don't say I'm too young. For you must go wherever I send you. And say whatever I tell you, and don't be afraid of the people, for I will what? I'll be with you and will protect you. I, the Lord, have spoken. So Jeremiah says, No, not me. You don't want me. I'm not the guy. I can't do it. I'm too young. I'm way too young. I'm not a public speaker. I, uh, I've never been to seminary. I'm the wrong guy. Don't send me, God. Which, by the way, a lot of prophets say that along the way, if you notice in scripture. Um, But think about this job, because Jeremiah is going to have to tell these people to come back to God. And in the world's view, Jeremiah is going to be an absolute failure. He will be an absolute failure. The people won't respond, and it gets so bad that God brings judgment on the entire nation of Judah. Now, here's the question I have. Do you have a situation in your life that's been like that? Where you have been faithful. Like you have done everything in your power to be faithful. And the wheels fall off anyway. Things go bad. So bad that it's almost unrepairable. Have you ever had a moment like that? Where you have done everything possible and your spouse still says, I want a divorce. You have um, prayed and been faithful and sought medical advice and seen the specialist and the doctor still says, you better get your affairs in order. Or, or maybe you've had a kid that you have poured into and you have instructed and you have given them everything you could possibly give them as a parent and you still watch in horror as they make bad decision after bad decision off the rails, right? I, I want you to see, even for Jeremiah, and this applies to us, that even in the darkest hours, even in our darkest hours, even when we feel inadequate which jeremiah feels totally inadequate. We all still have a role in God's story. Even in those darkest hours, even when we feel inadequate, we all have a role in God's story that he's prepared for us before we were in our mother's womb. Ephesians 2:10 says this clearly in the New Testament, "For we are God's what? We're God's masterpiece. You're not a mistake. You're not just a whatever. You're a masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the what? The good things that he planned for us when? Long ago. So like Jeremiah, you and I have a job to do in this world. Things that God created us to do. Do you know you're the only father you can be to your kids? You're the only mother that will ever be have an impact on your kid's life. You're the only grandparents that will ever make a difference. You're the only teacher who will stand in that classroom this year. You're the only employer that will make an impact on the people that you work with and, and around. Like God has put you in the places you are, in your neighborhood, in your job, in your family, in, even in this church, to make a difference that he planned for you in advance and has good things that he wants you to do. You may not think you're qualified and you may not think you've got what it takes, but God does and he puts you there in per, in, on, on purpose for his bigger story. Now, let me tell you how that plays out for me. It is no secret that America, it, by all statistics, is in spiritual decline. Would you agree with that? All of America is in spiritual decline. Churches are closing their doors at historic rates, and more and more people are claiming unbelief. They don't believe, and our, we are seeing our culture. We are seeing our culture every day stray farther and farther away from the things of God. Would you agree with that? Yeah, we're seeing that happen. Here's the thing. Um. Back in the 1930s and in the 1940s, um, they did some studies on this and they asked people what their spiritual or religious affiliation was, okay? What, what, and it could be any religious. It could be Muslim. It could be Jewish. It could be Christian. It could be Catholic. It could be anything, whatever it is. What's your religious affiliation? In the 1930s and 40s, that percentage was at 5%. About 5% of people would say, I am unaffiliated. I, they call themselves the nuns. I have no religious affiliation, 5%. They did some study on this. And over, uh, a, a researcher actually at UC Berkeley came up with a, another study about that. And in 1990, in 1990, 5% had risen to only 8%. That's 60 years we moved from 5% unaffiliated with, with any kind of faith in God to 8%. Now get this, since then, in 2013, they did another study of this, and the number of nuns had raised to 20% by 2013. So we've gone up 3% in 60 years. We've gone up 12% in the next 20 or so years. And in 2021, they did that research again. And because of a pandemic that has pushed people out of churches and whatever else, in just eight years later, we are now at 30%. We moved up 10% of people that are religiously unaffiliated. They don't want anything to do with God. Now, I'm a pastor, I pray for revival, right? I want to see God do things. I We sit around and we create outreaches, creative ideas to reach people and and do ministry. I stand up here and I will preach my little tushy off, pastor boy, get up there and preach your little tushy off and I will do it and, and, and proclaim God's truth, honestly. But what if our country doesn't respond? What if California really is going to hell in a handbasket? What if lovable, livable Lodi Wants nothing to do with God. Yeah, I I am gonna keep preaching. But what if this decline continues? And what if as a church, we loudly proclaim who God is, what Jesus did, but nobody nobody responds. They refuse to respond. Because we're gonna see this happens in Judah. The wheels come off the wagon, people. The wheels come completely off the wagon for God's people. Listen to what happened to Judah, and listen to the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah. Jeremiah 2 19 says, Your wickedness will bring what? Its own punishment. It's going to bring its own punishment. I don't even need to punish you. Your wickedness will bring its own punishment. Your turning from me will shame you. You will see what an evil, bitter thing it is to abandon the Lord your God and not to fear him. I, the Lord, the Lord of heaven's armies, have spoken. So the wheels are coming off the wagon in Judah. And listen to what God tells Jeremiah, and I want you to see this, it's a little longer passage in Jeremiah sixteen. It says, When I when you tell the people all these things, they will ask, Why has the Lord decreed such terrible things against us? You ever had anybody say that? Why in the world is this happening to me? Why is it why are things getting so bad? I don't understand. What have we done to deserve such treatment? What is our sin against the Lord our God? And then you will give them the Lord's reply. It is because who? Your ancestors were unfaithful to me. They worshiped other gods and served them. They abandoned me and did not obey my word. And you are what? You're even worse. Then your ancestors, you stubbornly follow your own evil desires and refuse to listen to me, so I will throw you out of this land and send you into a foreign land where you and your ancestors have never been. There you can worship idols day and night. Worship your idols day and night. What do I care? You're on your own. And I will grant you what? No favors. Here's what I want you to picture. Picture the people of God. They are being marched away from Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is burning. And there are bodies in the street, the young and the old and the infirm. And the temple, Solomon's great temple, has been reduced to rubble. And the walls are broken down and they are being marched towards Babylon where they will be in captivity. Does that sound like the wheels are off? Sounds like the wheels are off to me. Can you imagine that moment where they are walking toward, this is the promised land. This is the land we were promised. We were taken out of captivity in Egypt to give us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey, a land where the spies brought back grapes that were so big they couldn't hold them on a a vine, and, and we're walking away, and we're leaving all of that, and we have no choice, and it's all in the background, and we can't do anything about it. What is the point, God? What was the point of all of this? Worst ending ever, would you agree? Worst ending ever. But I want you to see something from Jeremiah, ready? Because even in the midst of judgment, God still gives hope. Even in the midst of this judgment, God still gives hope. Jeremiah writes an entire book dedicated to his weeping for judah it's called lamentations and it's about him lamenting the fall of judah and so he writes this whole book about it and even in the midst of this pain and hopelessness i want you to listen to these words from lamentations chapter three yet i still dare to what hope i still dare to hope when i remember this the what the faithful love of the lord never ends His mercies, what? Never cease. What does it say? Say it like you mean it. Great is His faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. Anybody know that old song? Great is thy faithfulness. I want you to picture them walking away from Jerusalem in destruction, utter destruction, and they're walking away, the smell of burning smoke in the background. They've lost loved ones. They're marching towards captivity in Babylon, and somebody is saying, Great is thy faithfulness. Oh, God, my Father. How can you say that in that moment? And then the credits begin to roll. Which leads me to So what, Steve? How do we make any sense of this? What does this bring to our lives? Um, Let me tell you about the worst ending to a movie ever for me. You ready for the worst ending of a movie forever for me? Um, How many people here have ever seen Lord of the Rings? Like the Lord of the Rings. You're deviants, all of you. Okay. My wife, this is another famous moment, my wife and I, she took me to see the Lord of the Rings movie. She is the kind of person who reads the book first and then goes to watch the movie. How many people read the book first and go to watch? Yeah, there's something wrong with you too, okay? I have never let a book ruin a good movie for me, if you know what I'm talking about here. So uh, it, my wife loved these books, wanted to go see these movies, and so we went to go see them on our anniversary for like four years in a row. We went to every anniversary, we went to go. Romantic, huh? Isn't that Romantic. I don't know. My baby wants, my baby gets what my baby wants. Okay. So we're at our anniversary. We're going to watch this movie. I'm watching Lord of the Rings with her. She's all fired up to see it. And uh, it's epic and it's swashbuckling and all these things are happening. And that movie doesn't go on for one hour. It doesn't go on for two hours. It goes on for three hours, I think, in change, to be honest with you. It felt like I spent my whole life in that movie theater. And so I'm watching this movie for three hours long, and when you get to the end of the first movie, I think it's called The Fellowship of the Ring. Is that the first one? So The Fellowship of the Ring, you get to the end of that movie, and when you're done with that movie, can I tell you, nothing is resolved. You're you're staring at it like, what what happens next? Like, I don't understand what what what's nobody. What happens to that guy? And what about the thing and the and the and the ring and the what what happens next? I have no idea. And so I come out of the movie this time, I'm furious. I'm angry. I'm mad, I'm looking at her, it's our anniversary, I don't care, it's my anniversary too, you should've done something for me. Uh, and so I'm, I'm looking at her like, what in the world is the deal with that movie? It doesn't resolve anything. What was the point of that? There's no way I can get back those three hours of my life. And, and, and she says, I thought you knew. It's a trilogy. And I said, a trilogy? And she says, yeah. And I said, well, When do I get to find out what happens next? She said, I think next year. (laughs) Because I wasn't reading the book. I'm telling you that right now. Here's the point of that. The story's not over. This story isn't over. It seems like it is, but it isn't. The story isn't over. If it is over, it's the worst ending ever, but it's not over, and let me tell you why. God made a promise to David, and he told David that his line, his descendants, the Messiah would come from. And let me tell you what line that's from. It's from Judah. These people that are being marched away towards Babylon, somewhere in that crowd, that same nation that's being marched away to Babylon, is is the line of Jesus Christ, the Savior who will save the world. Now, some people, I have found, really latch on to a verse in Jeremiah. Do you know the verse I'm talking about? Jeremiah 29, 11 is that verse that people hang on to. And they, they quote it and they say, you know, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a future and a hope. Oh, I love that verse. You want know nobody ever quotes is the verse before it. Nobody ever quotes the verse before it. This is what verse 10 says. This is what the Lord says. You will be in Babylon for how long? Years. Right. You know how many Lord of the Rings movies that is? But then I will come... And do for you all the what? Good things I have promised and I will bring you? That all sounds good. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. Here's the important thing. That seems like such a great verse until you understand the context of it, which is they are being marched away to Babylon. And for 70 years they're going to live in captivity. So it won't be you that I have a plan for. It'll be your kids and your grandkids. You're going to die there. But I do still have a plan. And I'm going to bring the hope of the world. Nobody ever stitches that, that, that onto a Hobby Lobby pillow. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Nobody ever does that. Here's the point. Story's not over yet. Story doesn't end at the end of Kings and Chronicles. And your story's not over yet either. Listen, I don't know who needs to hear this today but I come here today in faith that somebody right now, the wheels are coming off for you. I don't know what it is. I don't know what's happening in your world, but the wheels are coming off. Maybe your prodigal child literally just left home and you have no idea if you'll see them again. Maybe you're finally getting the divorce and this time there's actual papers being served. Maybe you're... You're at work and you're being let go and you've been faithful. You've done your job. You've been true to it but there's politics and backstabbing and somebody's trying to climb over you and and you're going to be let go and you really don't have any prospects and it feels like the wheels are coming off. Maybe that person that you love so much is drinking again or using again and it feels like the world is coming undone. I have a... uh, an aunt who I love very much, um, who this last week told us that she had been diagnosed with breast cancer. And she's older, she's about 80, and when you're 80, apparently they change the way they treat you. And so there's options that are available or not available, basically, at that time. And so she was telling me this, and I, of course, was listening, but I didn't know how bad it was. I didn't exactly know how bad it was. So she had a friend going with her to this appointment where they were going to talked to her about it and so I called this friend or I texted this friend and I said hey can you please take a notepad and a pen and answer ask all the right questions because I know I'm not going to get all the right answers from from uh, my aunt who I love and she said yeah absolutely and after that meeting she texted me back this and this is what the text said Um, she said triple negative fast-growing cancer and I immediately texted back triple negative sounds good is that good Fast growing sounds bad. Is that bad? And she replied, no, three hormone receptors are bad, meaning this is not good. Sad face emoji. And the tumors are five centimeter and two centimeter, and it's it's not good. They're going to do chemo and try to shrink the tumors, but they still first got to find out if it went to the lymph nodes and if it's spreading and Man, if you've ever had that moment, it feels like the wheels are coming off. There's a moment in a movie, lots of times I notice this in a movie or a TV show where somebody says, it's going to be all right, it's all going to be all right, everything's going to be okay. And my response to that is sometimes, are you sure? How do you know? How do you know? Mercy Me has this song that my wife turned me on to this week, um... And she shared it with me and I was listening to it. And it's called Even If. And this song talks about even if the wheels are falling off. Even if nothing is going right. Even if it's all going wrong. It, it's more rooted in the story of, of Daniel going into the fire. Because he says, even if, I, I will still praise your name. I will still worship you. And I want to read you just a couple of the lyrics here. It says, when I'm held to the flame like I am right now. I know you're able and I know you can save through the fire with your mighty hand but even if you don't my hope is in you alone. Even if you don't even if the wheels come off even if I don't see any hope even if I will sing great is thy faithfulness. I will sing great is thy faithfulness even if I can't see what's coming next and even if I don't have any hope, I will sing great is thy faithfulness because I've seen your faithfulness in the past and I know I'll see it again in the future. Would you just bow your heads wherever you're at right now? Um, I don't know what's going on with you, but today some of you may be in a bad place where the wheels are coming off. And I want you to know that your story is not over yet. And that our God is a God of mercy and Yes there are times where there are times where the consequences of our sin catch up to us and we must pay that price but he is so faithful and so forgiving and he has such a track record of showing us his faithfulness that even in that moment we sing I will praise you just like Jeremiah did we sing great is your faithfulness we've seen it on display before God and we long to see it again God, show us your faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen.